Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Ready to go. Outkick 360 is back. Tuesday edition is here. That means John McClain will join us in an hour. Looking forward to that. Plus, John Glenn McClain. Gilbo from Outkick.com, senior SEC writer, joins us in 30 minutes as we broadcast from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine with Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton, Jacob Swanson, solo today, making it happen along with David Reed, the chairman of the board. Dylan Taylor, our production assistant. Gentlemen, what is up? Jacob Swanson's about to prove his worth today or prove Jonathan Moulton's <laughs> worth today. One or the other will happen. We're going to find out. He's going to do just fine. I'm doing just fine. I am fired up. Boys, there's something about a three-pass performance in a Monday Night Football game that really gets my blood going. I'm very excited about that game last night. I don't know if I'm alone here. I, I think that the Patriots did very well to win that game the way they won that game. But I don't think it was won because of Bill Belichick's genius game plan. I think the Patriots did very well to win it the way they won it. But I think the Bills lost in a lot of ways. I think you had not enough Josh Allen, Allen arm early. He could throw certainly with the wind, and I think he could have made some short throws against the wind that they didn't make. I think uh, Breida's fumble was an absolute killer. I think you missed to Diggs in the end zone that killed uh, Knox had a couple drops, and most of all, the the missed field goal, and then the back shoulder throw to Diggs near the corner of the end zone was an absolute killer, which was Josh Allen being off target. The Bills had many chances to steal the narrative of that game and to win it, and they failed to do so. Failed to do so. Now, that's that's a Patriots being the Patriots, taking the narrative and and doing their best with it, and so they deserve applause for it, but the Bills made a lot of mistakes in that game. Here, here's what's wrong with the game plan. It's not when they had the win, Paul. It's when the Bills didn't have the win with them. Josh Allen had six rushing attempts. Think about that. Yeah, in a game like that, Josh Allen, who's known for being a dual threat, had six attempts running with the football. And one of them was very That's good. That's why they lost the game. One of them was very good, at least. I didn't look at his, his averages, but he had a one run to the right well, and back towards the middle that was very effective. Th this goes back to my overall point that I've been preaching and trying to nail home for the last month. The Bills are not built for the postseason. They can't run, and their game plan in a game like that where you've got to run it, they could not get it done against the top defenses. They are now 1-4 and four against teams with a winning record on their schedule this year. Well, and it, That's all you need to know about Buffalo. It may not matter that they're not built for the postseason because they may not be there yeah. after going to 7-6 and six after losing to Tampa if they, in fact, lose to Tampa on the road in their next game. They're going to be fighting and clawing uh, for that final playoff spot. I mean, I know that Belichick is doing a little bit of like, ha, 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 ha. But I also think it's a little bit funny that in this day and age of the passing league, 
that everybody wants to lift Belichick up on the chair and salute him for winning a game with three pass attempts, like that his quarterback needed to be covered up that, his weak arm quarterback needed to be covered up to that degree. So again, I applaud them that they could win running. It was one big run. They averaged 3.4 yards a carry outside of that one big run. But if I'm a Patriots fan, I'd be a little concerned that my guy can't do a little bit more in conditions he might but face I don't, in the playoffs. I don't think, Paul, that, that that game plan and the statement from Bill Belichick was about his lack of faith in Mac Jones. It was more about his faith in his defense, his defensive game plan, against a Buffalo team that can't run it. I mean, that, 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 that's what the game yeah, plan showed to me. Right. It wasn't him saying, I don't trust Mac Jones, he can't throw it in this wind. It was, this is what we need to do because we don't buy that the Bills can do anything against our defense that's going to lead to enough points to win this game. And it won for him. Three passing attempts. That is the fewest since 1974, also in Buffalo. That was a Buffalo Bills team in 1974. Second fewest attempts since 1950. You go back in the 30s and 40s, you got a lot of games that had three or less passing attempts in a game. But that's how... That's how rare we see a performance like that where you have three passing attempts the entire game. And Letterman was right. The two-point conversion <laughs> screwed everything up, and then Bass's attempt was pitiful. Pitiful. It didn't look like he had the wind sized up at all for how much the ball was going to move. And if I they don't know that, how you could in that. Did if you, they have that field goal. Did you see punts? I mean, I, I don't even know why you uh, – there's a reason why they didn't put Nick Folk. You're touting Nick Folk as the greatest kicker in football right now next to Justin Tucker yesterday. And they went for two against the win for a reason. Yeah. But, I mean, if you're in a desperation situation in that game and you have to kick and you know the ball's going to move a mile, it didn't seem like no he put it outside to, to let it move back. I don't think there's any way to adjust to that win yesterday. That I, and that's why 60 you got 60-mile-per-hour wins. That's why you have to go for that's it. That's why you got to score a touchdown. Well, that's why you have to run the football. And they had the right play call against the right defense on that fourth down at the end of the game. Yes. Peyton Manning was screaming it. I was watching the Manning cast at the time. He says... They are going to go zero coverage. They're going to be on you quickly. You have to drop far away and throw the post. Drop all the way back because right. it's I, coming right in your face and throw the post. And well, he threw it. I think he threw it to the wrong. He threw it to the deep post, and he should have thrown it to Cole Beasley. Shorter post. I think it, first off, it was behind either receiver, but it looked like he was trying to throw it far to the end zone and not to Cole Beasley. Who it would have been a completion of a first down. Defender made a Paul, let's let's not act like it was one big run from the Patriots and that was it. They ran it forty six times for two hundred twenty two yards against one of the top defenses in football, and every play you knew where the ball was going. It's going to the backfield. Oh, I know, but and it, they it's ran not for like two hundred twenty two yards against that Buffalo defense. Regularly, at three point four yards of carry should not kill you. If you take out the 68-yarder, you should be able to withstand that. The Bills pitifully could not withstand that. And I think they had 26 of those rushes against an eight-man box for over 140 yes, yards. They had over 60% of their snaps were with six offensive linemen. It was, it was an inventive attack for the Patriots. I say attack. I mean, it was that game, you knew there was going to be some crazy things happening in it. But to take that approach, to have Bill Belichick, I know it's Army-Navy week, but wearing the Navy mask in the pregame interview, a bit of tipping his hand about what the game plan was going to be, that was a military academy attack on the ground in that game. It was, it's an impressive win for New England, but I do buy some of what you're saying, Paul. I leave that game more disappointed in the Bills this season 
more than I am impressed with the Patriots. It was interesting that that game was as compelling as it was the way it was shaped. I think uh, partly because it came down pretty much to the wire. They also screwed up the clock late. I don't understand yeah. how teams don't realize that. Like in Nashville, Mike Vrabel and Stretch, his right-hand man in the booth, would never not know that 23 seconds ran off the clock and cause a fit about it and make them you know, refuse to snap the ball until they looked at it and everything. And this is the second time, Hut, I think in the last month, that we've seen a team get screwed on the clock and not realize it and press the issue with the officials. But Buffalo should, I'm not saying they would have done anything with it, but they should have gotten the ball back with about 23 well, seconds. Well, McDermott was livid on the sideline during that. So, I mean, but, I, I don't know what he said and what he didn't say to the officials. Well, help that. me with this, though, because I thought that was an odd sequence. That, that was a moment that prompted me to turn away from Manning cast to go to the actual broadcast because they were much better. You could hear things better. The sound of everything was better. They're talking about what's going on. Well, you're not getting that from that, the Manning cast. He was yelling at one of his assistant coaches. I didn't quite understand what the anger... I, I thought he'd be yelling at officials, but McDermott was in the ear of one of his assistants. I don't think it was Brian Dable, but it was one of the assistants no, on the side. The box. But he looked like Brian Dable, whoever he was yelling at on the sideline the whole time. And then you had Bill Belichick, who was livid, on the other sideline. Both well, coaches were Belichick upset during that moment. Belichick was upset that... Um, that Jones didn't take a delay, right. which would have ticked off an extra second, which would have really guaranteed the kneel down the time situation out at the end on the clock. But they got the kneel down situation at the end anyway on fourth down. All they needed was an extra tick there. But uh, I, I don't understand how these clock things happen. It should be without question that 23 seconds aren't running off and, and costing a team a possession. In a, in a one-possession game. It, it, it's crazy to me that that's allowed to happen when you have that replay guy there who's supposed to be able to whisper in the referee's ear and say, hey, we messed up the clock there. Step away. Let's, let's get it right. Uh, and I, I don't understand how things how, like that are happening. How about the call on, uh, against the Patriots when Josh Allen oh. jumped inbounds and, and, and stretching for the extra yards? And while he's in the air, he's hit, and they call unnecessary roughness on New England. I don't know what the defender's supposed to do. So you just allow him to get the first Extra down? yards? Well, and he's going for the, he's going for the sticks. Just allow him he's, to go. He's jumping up to put, put the ball out to try uh, to get a well, first no, down. I, I know. That you just allow him to get the extra yards and, and allow him to go no, out of bounds past the line? it's incorrectly called. I, I mean, they called it like uh, as if he had taken he's a step out of bounds. Yeah, he's, he's not yet out of bounds. So he's he's fair game there. It's it's another well, bad but, ball. So from what I understand, reading about it, it's also it's an interpretation of the rule because when you give yourself up going out of bounds, <laughs> right? You could argue he did. He jumps towards the sideline to go out of bounds, but in doing so, he's Reaching. jumping forward to try to get a first down. So the defender smartly shoves him to show that you know to make sure he doesn't reach the ball out to get the first down, and they're flagged for it. So the lesson here is just let them get the first down. That's the lesson to the defender. Yeah, you're choosing between letting him extend his arm or giving him a 15-yard penalty on and which then we cross that defender like, the first arm. I mean, that goes against defense. That's completely against the side of the football, like the, 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 the idea of defense. I don't want instincts to be changed. That's the problem with rules like this. Uh, 
I'm all for, you know, better tackling technique, you know, not hitting helmet to helmet, trying to eliminate some of those injuries. But what I'm not for is changing the instincts of a defensive player because that's just a baseline sports effort in anything. You stop the player from getting to A to B, whatever sport you're playing. If you see a guy trying to go through you or around you to get to a spot, you get in front of them and stop them from doing it. When you try to teach and condition that out of a defensive player, that's not ever going to be good for the game. I don't know that this is going to be a common thing that we see, and I hope that the rule was misapplied in this, in this instance, and I hope the league s- says that, and I hope that is a talking point for every NFL head coach to go back to their defense and say, this is allowed, and you do shove the quarterback. If they jump out of bounds, they're trying to get, put the ball out for a first down. Because if not, we get into these weird situations where you are penalizing the instincts out of a defensive player, and that's never going to be good for the game. Patriots now two games up on the Bills, plus that tiebreaker. Or no, a game and a half up on the right. Bills, plus that tiebreaker, but they play again in a couple of weeks. Heading into a bye, they have the best conference record by far at 7-1 and one for tiebreaker situations where a head-to-head wouldn't apply. They have this week off, and then they play the Colts in what will be a giant AFC game. Colts Colts are also on a bye. Yeah, very hot. Two rested teams, very hot, uh, playing in two weeks in a crucial AFC game. By the way, I was thinking on that on that penalty where Allen was, where gotcha. New England was stretched. Yeah, they, they they were flagged. I'm thinking that's even more of a reason to run Josh Allen. It's like throwing deep. Two out of three things can happen: either you complete the pass, there's defensive pass interference, or there's an interception. Right? Like it, two of the th- three things go in the offense's favor. It was the same thing when Josh Allen's running the football. One time was a, a massive penalty against New England of the six times I actually called his number. I and mean, you've been saying for a while, Bill's not built for the playoffs. I, I'm with Chad. Like I, I haven't looked at their remaining schedule, but like I almost feel like it's a waste if they get. Well, in. they got I, the I, Patriots they're, they're on the road. Achieve. I mean, they've got the. I think they got the Jets again. Uh, they've got Jets, Panthers. I, I'm, I'm looking at. I'm going by memory here. The games they absolutely have to win. Jets, Panthers. There's one more in there. The Patriots. Maybe the Dolphins. Yeah, Patriots. But there's a couple. I'm saying a couple. They're just not good teams that they're playing. Two or three. Here's what they've got. They've got Colts, Bucks also. Yeah, at Tampa. They're about to go seven and six. At New England, Atlanta Jets. They should win three. Atlanta Jets. That's it. Atlanta Jets. Yeah. So that would be ten and seven. Well, there. Last night I picked New England because of the fact that you have to run the football and the elements. And they're about to go to Tampa where they're going to be able to throw the football. That's going to play into the Bills and what they can do offensively. They were going deep last night in that win. Josh Allen threw the ball 30 times. That's, that's acknowledgement that they can't turn around and yeah, hand Yeah, that it one off. up the left side. Was that to Diggs where Diggs had to turn? Yeah, he turned twice turned and it hit twice, him on the arm. And it hit him on the arm. Now, I felt like if Diggs had looked the right way the first time, but, they, yeah. they had a touchdown there. It's a hard play to make in the wind, obviously, but I don't know look, how you're judging. Allen, Allen has the arm to to make a play like that, and the ball was there, right? So I don't know where Diggs is is, is looking in the first I place. <laughs> but I mean, that's the one play you need in that game. The one play, there it was. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. Coming up, uh, Glenn Gilbo will join us. That's in about 15 minutes. When we come back. We'll discuss the Heisman Trophy finalists that were announced yesterday evening. 
It's next on Outkick 360. First, though, Aurora NutriScience and the great supplements that keep us mentally sharp and healthy. VitaLifeScience.com is the website. V-I-D-A, LifeScience.com is the website. Aurora delivers your supplements where you need them the most. Your body. You're seeing VitaLifeScience.com now, and that's where you can receive more information. Our Outkick 360 season ticket holders, you'll receive a 15% discount with the code OUTKICK360 at VitaLifeScience.com. Here's Aurora, unique, cutting-edge nutritional supplements and uh, absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes that ensure greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. You're not going to waste these vitamins like a typical typical capsule or pill. Uh, I use the vitamin C, vitamin D3, glutathione. They taste great. Believe it or not, they taste great. And you can order it now at VitaLifeScience.com. Many reasons to check out the true supplements for for you, for your family, VitaLifeScience.com. Use the code OUTKICK360, 15% off, VitaLifeScience.com. OutKick360 rolls on across the OutKick network, live from 6th and Peabody. Downtown Nashville is where we're located. Stop by, say hello. Love when you guys do that. Yeehaw beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. You can enjoy that here on the 6th and Peabody campus, which is located where, Paul? 6th and Peabody. <laughs> in Nashville, Tennessee, where we just Music had two people City. say hello to us, which we always love, as Hutton said. Um, Heisman finalist announced. We're going to hit that now. And coming up in eight minutes, we'll chat with Glenn Gilbo of Outkick, and we'll get into the SEC championship game, Alabama-Georgia, and Brian Kelly, who is known for putting together stout Staffs, assistant coaches, has hired maybe the, the, the best coach you could hire for Louisiana, Frank Wilson, who was the head coach at Manise State, previously was the recruiting coordinator at LSU, who recruited guys like Leonard Fournette and Honey Badger. So we'll get into that momentarily. Um, but first, guys, the, maybe the biggest surprise is not seeing a running back listed on the final four. I thought, you know, there have been years where we've had five finalists, right? And it's just kind of a... I'm not a participation trophy guy either, but I I was a bit surprised that we didn't see Kenneth Walker on that list, given the fact of how often we talked about him through the regular season as a national storyline. You guys agree or disagree? Kenneth Walker was definitely the one you could argue snub of the group that that got the biggest, uh, got the biggest response from people. I'm with you, though. I think the stage gets crowded with five. I like three or four. Uh, four is a good number for finalists to actually be at the ceremony in, in New York City. So I'm I'm okay with the four that were selected. Kenny Pickett and C.J. Stroud, the quarterbacks that will be there, along with the, uh, the favorite to take the trophy home and give the speech, which is Alabama quarterback Bryce Young. And then there's Michigan defensive end and pass rush specialist Aiden Hutchinson, who is outstanding, uh, and it's cool to see the defense represented because there's been uh, plenty of uh, players throughout the country that are that are deserving to uh, to see the recognition, and they will through the the postseason awards. Um, but Paul, it's it's quarterback heavy, and it's ultimately a quarterback award. I saw more Will Anderson complaints, really, and that I think my timeline's more heavy towards scouting uh, NFL draft Nick types. I think he's he's, and they don't want to put la- a second Bama it's person. Not, yeah, on it. I, it's not fair, but I think he kind of gets canceled out because of the voters who write down Bryce Young's name. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I would agree with that. Well, and Aiden Hutchinson, 
I think there's there's, there's just not enough him. air in that room in New York City for two defensive players <laughs> to be there. Let's face it. It so was, was going to be out, one of the two. Canceled out by his own yeah. quarterback. Canceled out by, by another the, defender. the other defensive player. Yeah. I mean, I hope it's Aiden Hutchinson because I'd love to see someone else screwed over by a, a Michigan defensive player winning the Heisman <laughs> outside of Peyton Manning in Tennessee. Uh, so that that would be a nice story. It's just it's it's boring to me. Like, I, I know this boring. is it's, it's just it sounds. It's not that it's predetermined. It's just. Like Alabama has the best players. I mean, it's I I don't know. It's not Devonte Smith winning a year ago. Uh, you know, Tua Tungavailoa winning it, and now another Alabama quarterback who, oh by the way, is not done with his eligibility yet, could win it again next year, winning it. I'm not saying he's undeserving. I'm not going to sit here and whine and complain about it. It just doesn't get me that excited. If if a surprise happened, if Kenny Pickett won it, that would get me excited. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson as a defensive player might get me excited, but that's not going to happen. It's going to be Bryce Young. When's the last time, I, and maybe it's been more recently than I thought, but there was any suspense in the room? It's been a long time, I feel like. Yeah, I'm trying or to we think. We didn't of, know who was winning it, or there wasn't a clear-cut favorite, like where it came down to two guys and there was actually some I don't know. Bad. I feel like in recent years, there's, there's yeah, been Yeah, there's been some, a few uh, good debates going on. I'm, I'm trying to close find close Heisman votes. Some close calls, but none that you felt like were undeserving winners. I'll say this, too. What makes it boring for me in the Heisman vote overall is I, I think it's watered down by the voters. There are too many people who cover football who don't love football. Let's just put that out there right now. People who don't love ball. So they can't talk ball. Uh, they, they they casually watch it. They follow the teams that are in their market or in their region, and that's pretty much it. You really think that 870 media voters know what's going on across college football? Why did it get no. so big? Uh, no, that the answer to that is no. Um, I don't know why it got so big, but I mean, there's just there, there are some that take it really seriously, and others who just write down names. I also don't like the way that you go about voting for it, and you tally up the first, second, and third place votes. And I don't know. I just think there's there's way too. It just makes it it makes it very difficult uh, for, like Chad's saying, someone on the periphery to work their way in and actually win the award, even if Hutchison is the best college football player. Well, well. Uh, by the way, I of mean, the closest votes in history, uh, in the top twelve. The most recent one was 2009. Mark Ingram over Toby Gerhardt mm. of Stanford in 2009. We've argued, Hut, about that. Uh, like, NFL MVP is just one vote. And we've argued about that. I, I have, anyway, about that kind of holding well, a, other people out. The way out they do it, it. It's, supposed to, it's supposed to help different regions of the country be represented more. Yeah, don't you win a region? Isn't it almost like an yeah, electoral and then you, college? Yes, but then like it allows the if you're voting in the SEC, it allows you to write down a name from the Big Ten that you've seen, but also you see what I'm saying? Like yeah. uh, other regions can list other players. I don't know. I mean, well, and I like I like um, players having a say in it, but then I don't like it when I hear some of the rationale for players and who they vote for, which it's. You know, to them, it's just a popularity contest. It's yeah, the, the, the guy in my conference, guy your college. Yeah, right. They're, they're always going to vote for their guy at their school or their conference. All right, just you can just do a Google search of of how many players across the country receive votes. Like there were forty, like just a quick Google search. There's forty three players in 2017 who received a vote, a Heisman. Forty three current players. A current no, there were forty three players in in the 2017 season who received a vote to win the oh, Heisman. Oh, 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 I got you. Forty three. 
Plus, Heisman voters get a vote on top of this 800-whatever media, right? Yes. But what it tells me, yes, they do. But what it tells me is that's people who are narrowed in to a region that are voting for players in their region on their three that they list, right? Yep. That's, that's how I view it, anyway. They're not looking outside because they're not watching a lot of Pac-12 football. Right? They're not, they're not looking around to Thibodeau, the pass rusher for the Ducks. Set some of the voting based on bedtime. This is it. But remember when this was... Oh, they're covering a game. I mean, you really think yeah, they, right. they're covering a game and they're watching the games that they're missing? Or are they just looking at a stat sheet? Well, I, I get what you're saying, but NFL voters you know, are likely covering a game when they're voting for MVP and they do a pretty good job checking in a league. I understand there's only 16 games in a weekend. Well, there's also less games to cover. Yeah. Like you, they, you, can, you can pretty much get a... If you cover a team, you're going to see the majority of some MVP caliber players Over in the person. Over a year. Right? Yeah. So... A year ago, by the way, it was pretty close in the voting. Devontae Smith over Trevor Lawrence. That, yeah, that's 669 points shy was Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Mac, Mac Jones finished third. Kyle Trask fourth in last year's voting. So that was a relatively close race. That also broke the string of quarterbacks in so many consecutive years with Devontae Smith, the receiver. So that was, that was somewhat exciting. This was must-watch TV for years and years, though. It's not at and all, And now man. it's more of a... Check it out on social media and see who won Kinda, when it happens, yeah. and then go read about it. Um, I, I tend to agree on that, but it is you know this also Hutton. I think about this with uh, your proclamation on Saturday about Alabama saving the college football playoff by beating Georgia and getting the two best teams in the country in with Georgia and Alabama. So you have a chance at at least one great game in that college football playoff if if Bama and Georgia play again. Um, I kind of think about that with people wanting outsiders into the college football playoff. And then sometimes once you get the outsiders, it's why can't these spreads be closer? Why can't we get great games? And then I look at, you also complain about, and I I mean, certainly mentally I get fatigued by some of the same programs represented every year with the Heisman. But then if it's not that, are people as excited about the Heisman? <laughs> you know, it's I, I know it's, it's, a, it's a tricky proposition on on both sides. We we claim we want new blood, we claim we want this and that, and then the Dallas Cowboys have thirty million viewers for every game, right? I mean, that's ultimately these everyone that votes on anything, every television network, they know where their bread's buttered, and they know eventually what people can say what they want, but they're going to tune in for Alabama Georgia Part Two. If that happens, even if everybody in America is saying I'm tired of the SEC, they're still going to watch. We were tuned in for it uh, this past weekend, as was Glenn Gilbo uh, covers the SEC senior writer for Outkick.com. And uh, he joins us now from Louisiana. Glenn, hope you're doing well. Good. Good. I'm out here outside a coffee shop. Hope you can see me. Okay. It's all good, man. Hey, the, the Alabama and the way they handled Georgia, um, how does that change the perception for you of the four teams we now see in the college football playoff? And what did you make of what the Crimson Tide accomplished after the months that we spent discussing the matchup that we all expected we would see in Atlanta? Yeah, I think I think everybody wants to see Alabama have a down year. And when it looked like they might be, we all kind of seized on it just, just to see something different, I think. But it just proves, once again, how good uh, – Coach Saban is and how his teams always, almost always get better at the end of the season, and, and that's what we saw. And, uh, you know, he just totally figured out 
Georgia. He improved his pass protection, which was key. Yeah. That was the key to the game, I felt, because uh, Bryce Young had been sacked seven times against Auburn, four times against LSU. This was the first game all season that he was not sacked at all. And if you notice, he did a lot of quick passes. He moved a little to his left and right. And, and that, that really helped things. And, um, you know, Alabama's defense has improved throughout the season. And, and uh, you know, it, you're right. It, it doesn't look great if there's another Alabama-Georgia game for the, for the viewer. But um, I, I think the Cincinnati game could be interesting in, in that, you know, Saban's not used to them. You know, so that, that's kind of a wild card. Um, and usually the coaches that beat Saban, it's one of the first times they play him. Once he gets to know you, you're done. I'm intrigued by that aspect when you say he doesn't really know Cincinnati and and Luke Fickle. That 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 is interesting. How do you feel about the way Georgia matches up with Michigan? Michigan may present the most physical matchup that they've seen all year, especially up front. And I don't. I said yesterday to me that kind of favors the Bulldogs because Alabama was hitting the perimeter. I'm not sure if McNamara can do that. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I think it's a better matchup for uh, Georgia. I mean, they're both kind of similar teams, physical teams uh, who who don't have the greatest offense all the time. Uh, and again, also, you know, they're not used to one another. So that all, always makes tends to make for a more interesting game. Um, I, I like Georgia's chances in that game, but yeah, but that's a toss-up. I mean, I don't think Cincinnati has much of a chance to beat Alabama, but I think Georgia-Michigan is a real toss-up. Glenn, I know these guys want to discuss, uh, the, and I do too, the southern accent of Brian Kelly in a moment. But first, uh, the recruiting uh, aspect of what Brian Kelly is bringing in with, uh, I believe, his first hire that's been announced either anyway, Frank Wilson, who is the head coach of McNeese State. But the significance of that is Louisiana. He was the recruiting coordinator in Baton Rouge, he recruited guys like Leonard Fournette and Honey Badger. Uh, tell us the significance of Frank Wilson and the fact that Brian Kelly, who didn't bring anyone with him from Notre Dame, who is known for putting together great staffs, starts by hiring Wilson. Well, he's he's trying to bring in some guys from Notre Dame. Um, the uh, the special teams coordinator Brian Polian and Jacob Flint, the strength the strength coach, and he needs to get the offensive line coach from Notre Dame, uh, Jeff Quinn. But but Frank Wilson is a, is a great hire. This is a New Orleans native. He coached high schools in New Orleans. He's been all over the SEC, Ole Miss, Tennessee, coached at Southern Miss, really knows the recruiting areas in the New Orleans area and the surrounding areas of New Orleans. He did a great job when he was at, L- when he was at LSU in those areas. So this is really uh, a great hire by Brian Kelly. And, and, you know, he worked for Les Miles and for Ed Orgeron. So, so Brian Kelly knows about his experience at LSU. Well, and and we talked about a little bit last week, Glenn, but when we found out that he wasn't just bringing a majority of his staff, even if he gets a couple of his assistants from Notre Dame, that really opened the door to a lot of possibilities of who all he would be hiring are you hearing anything else about more SEC flavor that he's going to try to hire on this staff at LSU, people he may be contacting that he's had associations with in the past or even guys he's never worked with before that make sense for LSU right now? Yeah, well, 
his most important hire is, is going to be his offensive coordinator, I feel like. And, and I think it's a good thing that he's not getting Tommy Rees from, from Notre Dame because, frankly, Notre Dame's offense has not been great and they've had questionable competition. You know, it worked at Notre Dame and got them into the playoffs. But that type of game management quarterback and, you know, they're just not ranked high with quarterbacks in total offense. He's going to step up his offense if he's going to win in the SEC. So he definitely needs an offensive coordinator who maybe he's never coached with before. He's never coached with Frank Wilson before, who, who uh, you know, knows how to win in, in the SEC with a spread or something like a spread. That's going to be really key. You know, and his defensive coordinator is going to be really key, too, since he didn't get Marcus Freeman from Notre Dame. Has he uh, maintained his accent from the basketball game introduction? Has he improved it? Will he be using it constantly or occasionally? Or has he been convinced to be himself? No, that's not the worst Louisiana accent I've ever heard. (laughs) Go watch the movie The Big Easy with Dennis Quaid and Barkin. It's actually not a bad movie. 1987. But Dennis Quaid plays a cop in New Orleans and he's got about seven accents going. So he's got about three Cajun accents, three or four New Orleans accents. It's the worst thing ever on, on screen. When I heard Les, Les Miles, when I heard uh, Brian Kelly, who, who kind of reminds me of Les Miles, I'm sorry. When I first heard Brian Kelly talk at that basketball game, I didn't know what he was trying to do. He, it sounded weird to me, but I thought he was trying to project his voice. I didn't, I didn't think he was trying to sound like he was from Louisiana. I don't, I don't know what he was trying to do. It, it, it sounded a little Texas, if anything. <laughs> he was trying to make his voice louder, and, and people kind of went off with it, which yeah. I don't understand. Well, it was definitely different, whatever it was. And yeah. I, I'm curious. Folksy. He was going for folksy. folksy. What was the reaction? Maybe from that the- was it. What was the reaction from the fan base Um, and and just sports talk radio in general? What has been the reaction to him on campus speaking to the public and the message that he's trying to get across? Are they buying it? I mean, in some ways, every fan base will buy the new coach. Are they buying Brian Kelly and what he's doing? No, I think the, the local fan base really didn't have much of a reaction to the fake accent. That all came from outside Louisiana. I think all fan bases just want to be happy, okay? And the time that they think they're the most happiest is when they get a new coach. So they just about believe anything when they get a new coach. So I think that they're very happy with with Coach uh, Kelly because they got him from Notre Dame, and they haven't stopped to really look at the offense yet and realize that the offense is not that great. But they're, they're not into that mindset right now. They're just into the fact that they got a new coach, and he's going to be great. You know, I mean, this is a fan base that got excited when Curly Hallman got hired from Southern Mississippi, okay? So they get excited over just about anything. But there's a lot of reasons to be excited about Kelly because of his experience, his winning record, uh, and he's just a sound coach with credibility, more like Saban than any coach they've had since Saban. But I'm a little worried about his offense. Glenn Gilbo has been our guest. Uh, he joins us from OutKick.com, where you can read his work, uh, the columns on the SEC uh, daily there on the site. Uh, really, really uh, strong work there from him and Trey Wallace covering the Southeastern Conference. Glenn, thank you as always. We, we enjoy the, the news and notes of the week here on Tuesdays. 
We'll catch up soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Covering uh, the LSU Tigers along with uh, the rest of the SEC. It's a it, Nationally, the name Frank Wilson comes to mind uh, for, for those, the national riders, because they know the type of players that he brought to LSU with him. So the fact that Brian Kelly was able to get a Frank Wilson, the head coach, they're paying more than an East State head coach for him to come back to campus, no doubt. But the fact that he came back and that he's now going to serve in a big recruiting capacity is big for for Kelly. Well, he's a big-time high school coach from New Orleans for years, and it was a big hire. If you remember when Lane Kiffin came to Tennessee, Ed Orgeron came to Tennessee with Lane Kiffin. They right. hired Frank Wilson for, I believe, his first co- college coaching job as a pipeline to get Louisiana players. I believe he also stayed on with Derek Dooley for a year or two, eventually got the gig at LSU, recruited very well there from yes, he did. 2010 to 2016, went to Texas San Antonio, didn't work out went to McNeese State, was not in trouble of losing his job at McNeese State, so left the head coaching position at McNeese State to return to LSU. That's a big win for Brian Kelly. And the perception was, oh, the staff who he put together, and it was touted. I mean, he always had nice coaching staffs at Notre Dame, and the staff that he put together didn't follow him. So the the knock was, oh, maybe you know he's rubbed people the wrong way. What's he going to be able to do without the staff he put together? And I think this is a signal that – he's going to be able to pull great coaches to LSU. Well, and here's another stat I saw just from a recruiting standpoint. Someone was making the argument that he didn't leave Notre Dame because he's unhappy at Notre Dame or he hates them or he's trying to get out. He left them because he doesn't feel like he can win a national title there and he can at LSU because the players are all close by. Maybe he's tired of recruiting nationally and the travel that you have to go to at Notre Dame. Notre Dame currently has a top 10 recruiting class. They have two top 100 players in that class. There are currently seven players in the state of Louisiana. So if you just keep your guys at home, that's times three the amount of top 100 players you could get, and that's standard. And what was he Every getting Every year at LSU. Remarkable. Again, they're a top 10 class in their name. They've got two in their current class that he recruited. Top, top 100 players. They're a top 10 nationally ranked class with two top 100 players from different places all across the country. Currently in the state of Louisiana, there are seven top 100 players located in the state. They're not all going to LSU right now, but if you get five of those seven every year, you're you're already cooking. Depth. That's yes. the name of the game. Like, and that's the difference between Georgia and Michigan. Now Michigan has three five stars. Georgia right now has nineteen. Well, the downside is you're not playing Boston College, Northwestern, and Navy every year. So the route's a lot harder also. Your schedule just got a lot tougher players, now that you're in the SEC schedule. West. Yep. Coming up, the Chad mentioned he'd love to see Kenny Pickett win the Heisman. Um, he's very deserving. I think on the list, he's the surprise if you're a fan of college football. Um, you know he's a good quarterback. You didn't know he's a Heisman finalist. We'll, we'll explain why he is and why he was deserving of those votes next on Outkick 360. We haven't really talked about Kenny Pickett since Pitt played and won against Tennessee. Welcome back, Outkick 360, across the Outkick Network. But he's in a category with Bryce Young that is very impressive, and it shows why he's a Heisman finalist. So let's just start with Bryce Young. Bryce Young, he's going to win the Heisman. Um, He deserves it after what he did against Auburn, that final stanza, and then what happened in the SEC championship game. But there are three college quarterbacks with 40 or more passing touchdowns this season, 
And Bryce Young had the fewest interceptions of those three quarterbacks who threw for 40 or more touchdowns. Um, he needs just one more touchdown pass to break the school's all-time record. Think about that. He needs 178 yards to break the yardage record. And he's done that behind an offensive line where he was sacked 33 times. To put that into perspective, Mac Jones was sacked 13 times last year. Bryce Young sacked 33 times, and he's thrown 42 touchdown passes. That that I mean, in in the least amount of interceptions among the three quarterbacks in the category. That being said, Kenny Pickett is one of the other three in that category. 42 touchdown passes. He's thrown for over 4,000 yards uh, for Pitt. And he's the heart and soul of that team when you watch him play. I mean, I I love watching him play. And what draw what what drove me to him in the first place is the fact that he's one of those guys that feels like he's been there for a decade, and he's been there for at least half a decade. And Six. and that that to me is different, right? And 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 the 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 leadership aspect of it. Uh, whenever you watch him play, there's an effortless feel and a quality to his style of play at quarterback. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think, think think about this too. If they don't slip up against Miami, it's possible that Pitt makes the playoffs. Yeah, oh, I mean, I, if you I've, think about where they yeah. ended up, well, and I mean, he's breaking some of Dan Marino's records uh, at Pitt, which that, that's uh, enough said uh, mm-hmm. with that at, at that school. Um, I, I love it when a guy like him, that's an upperclassman, that's done it for multiple years. I know it's a one year award. Sure. But done it for multiple years. I would love to see uh, Kenny Pickett win it uh, over Bryce Young. Bryce Young's going to win it. He's deserving also. But I'd love to see Kenny Pickett win it. Um, his offensive coordinator, Mark Whipple, former head coach at UMass, been the offensive coordinator there for three years. Sort of a strange story. He has resigned, and he will not coach the Peach Bowl for Pitt. There are reportedly some family health issues at play, but footballscoop.com is not buying that. They think that he is parlaying this into a different gig. He is reportedly interviewed with Scott Frost in Nebraska to be their offensive coordinator. Scott Frost handing over more of his offensive duties to someone else and maybe a different offense at Nebraska. Mark Whipple would be a different style offense than Scott Frost. But either way, a lot of speculation that also Pitt said it was a, a mutual parting of ways, which is an odd way to put it after they had a great year offensively yeah. with Kenny Pickett. It sounds like, I don't know why it'd be mutual unless there's something off the field, but it may not be mutual. It may be Mark Whipple taking a job somewhere else. What kind of future do we envision for Pickett? I think Kenny Pickett, uh, Hutton, you may know better than me, but I mean, first-round pick? Yeah, first-round pick, and I yeah. think he would be a great fit for the Atlanta Falcons. Partner him with, uh, pair him with Arthur Smith. I'd love to see that offense. Um, he's 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 going to be one of the top quarterbacks, if not the guy. I mean, it's him or Corral. That's how I view it right now, anyway, based on some of the chatter. But I mean, there there could be upwards of. I mean, I think there's a the quarterback for Nevada. Um, there's a there's a couple of uh, there quarterbacks. Malik, Malik Willis Liberty. at Liberty is another guy. Yeah, at Liberty. There's always quarterbacks that get overdrafted because of the position sure. they play. There, we could see there's no talk. There's a lot of discussion about this being a down quarterback year. I, I think we will see 
quarterbacks in the first round that are not being mentioned right now. Oh, whether it's Carson, a down Carson year. Carson Strong is the Nevada quarterback. Thank you, whether it's a down year or an up <laughs> yeah, year, Carson Strong. they get drafted the same. I'm not going to pretend to have watched Carson Strong play. I've I'll just tell you what, he's got a mentioned. hell of a name to be a great quarterback, though. No, Carson Strong is a name is, I would draft. Whether it's a down year or up year, they get drafted the same. No, yes. Without the same anticipation by fans and maybe by teams, you'd rather be have the number one pick in an Andrew Luck year. And as Chad mentioned... <laughs> but it doesn't matter if you... If it's Andrew Lucky or not, you're drafting one. Chad was smart to point out this last week. You, you mentioned the draft order and how it's kind of lined up where there's uh, three teams that dominate based on trades from the past couple of off seasons. They may not need quarterbacks, but there will be teams that will trade with them to get into oh, an yes. area to draft those quarterbacks. Keep all of that in mind as well. We're previewing the championship games and the draft as we sit here in December We've got plenty to talk about in the NFL and more. John McClain does that with us next on Outkick 360. Hang with us.